You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Freedom of the press around the world is in grave danger. With threats of violence against journalists continuing to rise, safeguarding press freedom has never been more critical. According to Reporters Without Borders, a total of 348 journalists were detained for providing news and information in 2018. On April 18th, The Washington Post and Reporters Without Borders, the world's largest non-governmental organization specializing in the defense of media freedom, held a conversation on freedom of the press around the world. In this segment, ambassadors from two countries with disparate rankings on the Press Freedom Index and a prominent free speech thought leader discuss the state of press freedom around the world and the opportunities and challenges ahead. Let's listen. Welcome. I'm Dana Priest. I've been at the Washington Post now for literally half my life. (laughs) And I also teach journalism at the University of Maryland, where I have my students profile uh, imprisoned journalists, and it's allowed me to to understand just how bad parts of the world are. But today we we have a mixed uh, group. we're calling them the pre-Muller report report, and if you stick around <laughs> long enough, we might release the report before you leave. Let's see. <laughs> uh, I'd like to introduce to my left uh, Ambassador Olaf Dotter from uh, Sweden, one of the countries with the best uh, rights record. Uh, very happy to have uh, His Excellency Ambassador uh, Fitsu from Ethiopia here, one of the countries that have really made the most improvement in the last couple, in the last year or two, and then Jamil Jaffer, who's probably uh, familiar to to most of you here, he's the executive director of the new Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University, and a long time long time with the uh, ACLU. So welcome everybody. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. I wanted to start with Ambassador uh, Fitu. Uh, Ethiopia, for the first time in almost 15 years, has no prisoners. Uh, has no journalists in prison. Um, it, it's unblocked most of its uh, previously blocked sites, which is hundreds. And uh, it, is, it is allowing now bloggers and um, non-governmental journalists to report. So it is really, uh, aside from Tunisia, probably the brightest light in the world right now. So I want to applaud you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we were speaking on the phone about uh, the situation there, and he was talking about capacity building being something that is uh, in need right now. Can you talk, please, a little bit more about that? Thank you so much. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm delighted to be here. This is my third week <laughs> as ambassador. <laughs> so I was uh, privileged to be chief of staff of this uh, reformist prime minister. Uh, I've seen, I'm a witness what he's been doing. Uh, since he came to power in April uh, 2018, uh, it took him just 100 days uh, to uh, reverse some of the uh, challenges, human rights issues, uh, press freedom that were criticized for so long by uh, human rights watchdogs uh, and uh, different uh, international media. Uh, so. Uh, I think uh, he's now taking us in the right direction. Uh, he's been championing everything uh, through uh, due process of law. Uh, and now uh, we had um, 
a serious problem in terms of uh, accommodating disagreement, exercising democracy. Uh, so it's part of the whole democratic process that we need, uh, capacity building, and also uh, freedom of press is the main one to deepen our democracy. Journalists, we're not uh, free in many ways, uh, and we need capacity building in terms of uh, how to use uh, the press responsibly, at the same time how to balance, uh, and also uh, the people at large, we're not aware of how to uh, understand everything comes out from media. Uh, they get easily confused. In countries where you have stable democracy, you judge what is in it. Uh, you cross-reference, you take second opinion, but that's not the case uh, in Ethiopia. So I think it, it, it's related to uh, the experience uh, we're having, and it takes time to trickle down to the community society. Uh, education is also very important, uh, and also press freedom plays you know, most, most of the, the role. So we need capacity building in many areas in delivering uh, the uh, news and uh, creating different platforms unless we are exposed to uh, different environment, unless we get a chance to debate. There is no any other shortcut uh, to, to get to what is to be. So uh, there are many areas that we need in capacity. So I noticed um, that Facebook is, is the largest social platform, social media platform, and, and we know that that has caused a lot of trouble in a lot of other countries where it was newly introduced. Have you had discussions with them about um, trying to damp down hate speech or disinformation, which is unfortunately a, a problem not just in Ethiopia, but but everywhere now? Uh, yes, uh, I think social media has uh, created a wonderful platform for people like Ethiopia to penetrate the majority of people uh, because it's an easy infrastructure, a medium of uh, transforming, I mean, passing information. Uh, as connectivity is growing, that is highly welcomed. But the negative side of social media, like Facebook, Twitter, and others, is uh, there are faceless people who can uh, say anything they want, hate speeches uh, that incite violences, and in some cases they take it for granted and create some uh, conflicts even in some cases, and that uh, creates some uh, panic which may grow uh, at alarming stage. So, uh, I don't think the Western uh, countries have also managed to deal with this. Uh, I think it's a challenge for everyone, but the way the Western countries uh, absorb and uh, countries like Ethiopia is totally different. Mm. Uh, so yes, it's important to regulate, but how? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, hate speech laws are seen as uh, silencing dissent. Uh, we had some challenges in the past, 
like uh, anti-terrorism law, uh, suicide and charity law, which are now uh, totally repealed and replaced by uh, other more modest laws. Uh, so it's under discussion whether we have to have uh, a speech law or not, what is the best practice, and uh, how can we narrowly uh, enact this so that it doesn't um, silence dissent and again discourage uh, free press. Uh, we need support on this as well, and we don't want to get back to where we were. We are enjoying what we have, so we want to continue to deepen our democracy. Well, luckily, we have the leader in the world here on how, how do you deal with them? Um... I think we can really help you. We've been at it for 250 years. <laughs> and I think well, that's... We got this together. Yes, no, but I think that is one of the reasons why we are ranked so highly, because um, it has been part of our culture with access to information from the public. And we also have a whistleblower function where uh, government officials like myself uh, cannot get persecuted if we uh, mm. give information to media that is not, of course, under national security, but mm -hmm. for everything else. So this, of course, builds a trust in society where we always scrutinize our public officials. Uh, and this has also led to that we are one of the least corrupt countries in the world and mm. also one of the most innovative countries in the world. So it goes together both democracy and economy and, and how a country can prosper if you have the proper institutions, uh, if you are really going the way where you are going, uh, this will help you in so many ways, both democracy and, and economically. But of course we are challenged uh, as well, uh, and uh, we have put in large efforts to, to educate our public, um, new program for schools, how do we teach kids to be media literate, uh, mm -hmm. and how to... Is that a mandatory part yes, of the curriculum? Yes, yes mm -hmm. we, have it's we only have public schools with the same curriculum basically. So it's, uh, we really need to, to work at it constantly because now we have a new environment given social mm -hmm. media and we need to train our young kids to be aware of what is real news and what is not real news and how do you, how do you, uh, how do you learn? Mm -hmm. Because it is very dangerous or very difficult, I think, for, uh, even for adults. And uh, of course, kids now, they are so tech savvy. They, are, they know much more than we do, but this is, I think, something we we constantly need to work on. And so, uh, you who probably jump straight into social media and, and uh, mm -hmm. a new technology, for you it's maybe even more important yes. to, to do that. So do you regulate social media or do you uh, rely on, on media literacy among the yes, population? Yes, of course we have some, uh, we have legislation, but that is the same legislation for old media and, and mm -hmm. new media, so to speak. So, so that has changed. It's the technology that's different, but not the contents. Mm -hmm. uh, so the legislation doesn't look at, at the technology. Well, there's been discussions here and elsewhere about the, the, the rules regulating the media. Mm -hmm. We basically have the First Amendment. That's yes. our regulator. Yes. Uh, but Scandinavia, all three countries, I believe, have a, a media regulator of some sort. Can you just yes, uh, there is a, there is an agency, of course, that uh, if you feel that you have been misportrayed or or, or so, you can you can uh, how do you say go to that agency, and then the journalist can also be or the media outlet can be uh, how do you say judged or or fined hmm. uh, if if it's considered that they have been slanting or not portraying facts correctly. And is that a government panel? 
It is uh, in sort of a way. It's of course funded through the, the governmental system, but then it's independent like all our uh, judicial uh, bodies. Hmm. That's, that would be a scary thought here, I think. <laughs> so you must do it in some way that we need to study yes. works yeah. there. Yeah, it does, it does. Okay, finally, um, you have a program called Troll Hunters. Yes. Where, I mean, there, yes, and, and it's like, you know, the program we had, find a predator, it's find the troll, and you actually go, the, the person figures this out, and then they go with a camera and confront them, and so troll hunting is something that you've been doing for a while? No, it's fairly new, actually, <laughs> but I think it's important that we can show this through public media, what, yeah. what it, what, who they are and how they operate, and this is, of course, part of learning about the system. What is a troll? Where does it come from? Is it people in our country? Is it people in other countries? Mm. Why do they do it? So that we have a bigger understanding of it. So of course it's good to have a troll hunting program <laughs> so you can actually learn about it. Because I think for most of us it's, it's quite hard to understand yes. how it operates. Yes, okay, great. And Jamil, uh, we have the Swedish ambassador here. We have uh, wanted to talk about Julian Assange who overlaps in both these areas. Um, possible extradition, back to Sweden, we'll talk about that in a minute, but um, what is your take on the, the arrest, the indictment, and, and how it could play out here in the United States vis-a-vis -vis its implications for press freedom uh, right. here? Well, I guess I should start by saying that um, you know, the indictment is for a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which is a hacking statute, and um, there's, in my view, no argument here that the hacking was constitutionally protected. And so the charges themselves, again, in my well, view, okay. don't Why? raise constitutional concerns. Why the indictment, though, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the indictment is much broader than the charges. The indictment lists as the means and manner of the conspiracy uh, many things that uh, legitimate journalists engage in every day. So protecting the identity of a source or communicating securely with a source. Um, uh, those kinds of things uh, are presented as evidence of a criminal conspiracy. And in fact, the indictment, the indictment is quite short, but if you read it, you'll see that 90% uh, of it is about things that legitimate journalists do every day. So much attention is given to those things that it's very hard for a reader not to come away with the impression that the Justice Department believes that those things are problematic. And so uh, I guess I'm uh, uh, sort of conflicted about the, the charges. I, I, I don't find the charges themselves problematic, but the indictment is quite scary, and I think that uh, any journalist who reads that indictment, um, uh, especially investigative journalists who work on national security issues, there's no way to do that kind of journalism without doing the very things that the Justice Department is describing as um, uh, part of a criminal, uh, criminal conspiracy. And then we see that indictment against a background in which the administration, the Trump administration here, um, uh, has stepped up leak investigations, has um, uh, uh, stigmatized, that's too weak a word, but stigmatized whistleblowers, um, has made clear that the administration will go after journalists who publish classified information, or has suggested that the administration will go after journalists who publish classified information. So especially against that background, I think this indictment is very worrying. So step one, one step backward, you say it, it is constitutionally protected, which means um, that you 
would put Assange in the category of a journalist or a publisher? Can you just explain? No, I don't, I don't actually think that you, you need to believe that Julian Assange is a journalist to be worried about this indictment. Um, uh, you, you know, the, the Supreme Court here has never uh, distinguished journalists from everybody else in terms of the protection that uh, uh, the people get under the First Amendment. The protections are the same. And so there's really no legal relevance to this question uh, of whether Julian Assange is a journalist or not. I'm not saying that's not a legitimate topic of, uh, uh, of debate, but it doesn't have any legal relevance. Mm -hmm. And uh, the indictment uh, doesn't turn on the fact that Julian Assange is not a journalist. Um, the indictment is, uh, again, you know, describes all these things that Julian Assange is alleged to have done. Uh, and almost all of those things, not all of them, but almost all of those things are things that legitimate journalists do every day. Okay. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about another um, case, the Khashoggi case. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're, we talked back, back in the back a little bit about the, the um, responsibility to warn. And mm -hmm. that brings in, you know, possible U.S. Um, well, you, you tell them what that is. And sure, right. So, so um, as all of us unfortunately know, Jamal Khashoggi was a U.S. resident, a Saudi national, uh, a Washington Post journalist, uh, who was uh, murdered in the, in the Saudi embassy in Istanbul uh, last year. And uh, the, we might have expected the United States to um, uh, call out this um, this act as the criminal act that it was. That's not what happened. In fact, the Trump administration has been very enthusiastic about participating in what looks like a cover-up of the killing. Um, one, uh, one thread in the story that I think hasn't got quite enough uh, attention has to do with the duty to warn, which is a duty that uh, U.S. intelligence agencies have recognized. Uh, if they intercept or acquire uh, evidence that there's a threat to somebody's life or liberty in the course of surveillance. So they're surveilling, engaged in national security surveillance, and they run across evidence that somebody, a journalist, uh, for example, uh, is under a threat to his or her life or liberty, then they have an obligation to alert that journalist mm -hmm. to the threat. And um, we, with the, the, the Knight Institute and the Committee to Protect Journalists, have been litigating for uh, the release of records relating to the duty to warn, because we want to know what did U.S. intelligence agencies know before the killing about the threat to Khashoggi, and if they did know something about uh, the threat to his life and liberty, uh, what did they do about it? Uh, thus far, the intelligence agencies have, for the most part, stonewalled that, um, that request. Uh, they have provided what's called a GLOMAR response, which means that they refuse to confirm or deny even the existence of records uh, responsive to the request. Uh, but I find that very troubling. I think that the United States on this kind of issue should be um, at the opposite end of the pole of where we are. We should be um, uh, calling for accountability. We should be demanding um, a credible investigation, a transparent investigation. And instead, the most senior American officials uh, are um, uh, effectively participating in the cover-up. Mm. Okay. Uh, since we mentioned Julian Assange, uh, is there an update on whether Sweden is considering uh, 
The, the prosecutor's right. agency is looking into the case again uh, to see if there is a case or not for uh, asking for his extradition from, from uh, the United Kingdom. And he is, uh, the accusation is uh, rape. Right. So it's a sexual, sexual crime. And so they're reopening the case to look at it, or they're, uh, the judges? Yes, they are looking into it again uh, to see. Uh, it's kind of a pre-study uh, mm -hmm. to, uh, to a case study. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I guess we will know in a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, I guess I wanted to uh, end again uh, with Ambassador Fitzhu and ask about whether the environment in the United States, uh, especially at the top vis-a-vis -vis press freedom and embracing it as an important part of democracy, does, does that resonate in any way positive or negative in Ethiopia? Uh, I think uh, you have uh, a strong institution which helps you to balance uh, whatever administrations comes in uh, and uh, we are you know looking to uh, how we can have such a strong institution so that whoever comes won't uh, you know easily manipulate uh, so that's how I say it okay well thank you all for being here um, and thank you for coming, and we're, we will have our next panel will be uh, following us in just a minute. Um, so we decided not to release the Mueller report, and uh, you'll <laughs> just have to wait, <laughs> but stay in your chairs. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com. <laughs>